The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I've been thinking a lot lately about uniforms. Uniforms, that identifiable clothing that sets us apart, makes us recognizable. On one hand, uniforms help us to stand out. And on the other, uniforms can help us blend in. As a priest, I'm often asked, why do you wear that collar? And the short answer is, this is my uniform. But there's a longer answer. The longer answer is that wearing this collar helps people identify me and see me as a person that represents a certain way of living and being in the world. Some priests wear their collars only on Sundays, but I, like many of my colleagues, tend to wear them during the work week, out and about. Wearing the traditional black and white of a priest down city sidewalks, into restaurants, or even into Lowe's or Target does tend to accumulate some glances and questions. People will stop me and they'll say, hey, are you a priest? And I'm like, yeah. Some will say, hey, where do you work? Where do you minister? And for some, the collar is a sign of danger. They've had bad experiences with priests or with the church, and they're not afraid to stop me and tell me about them all. So the long answer, wearing this collar is a part of bearing witness to Jesus in and around and among the people of God. But the short answer is, it's my uniform. And uniforms help us identify folks. So, likewise, when I am in a hospital or even walking down the street and I see a person in scrubs or wearing a long white coat, 
I too am tempted to stop them and say, Hey, are you a nurse? Can you look at this rash on my arm? Or when you see little girls and boys wearing school uniforms. The uniforms are an effort to level the playing field. No matter how rich or poor the child is, the uniform creates a sense of balance so that kids and those kids' parents do not have to make financial decisions about what the child will wear to learn. But we all know that even with uniforms, no two priests are alike. No two doctors are alike. No two nurses, no two police officers are the same. So why in the world, if you've not already asked this question, why in the world am I talking about uniforms on this Trinity Sunday? A Sunday that we celebrate this mysterious doctrine, this mysterious teaching of the church, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one and one in three. Well, it has to do with our epistle reading today. And our epistle reading comes from the second letter to the Christians who lived in a town called Corinth. And in this letter, the author is addressing, Paul is addressing some divisions that the group in that town are having. You see, those first century Christians, they were from all over the place. They were a diverse group of people bringing their own religious and social and cultural practices with them wherever they went. Yet, they were all trying to be a part of this new thing, this emerging thing called Christianity. And like any group that gathers, there are differences of opinions. There are some rivaling for control. We don't know anything about that, do we? There are cases of immorality. We don't know anything about that, do we? There was disregard for appropriate Christian conduct. We don't know anything about that, do we? Disadvantaged people were being marginalized. We don't know anything about that, do we? Overall, the letter calls that community to find a sense of unity. So the part that we hear in our reading today that Justin reads so beautifully is the closing bit of the second letter to the Christians in Corinth. And Paul asked this community, get this, to agree with one another. Agree with one another, Paul says to this diverse group of people. Agree with one another. Right, Paul. Good luck with that. Have you ever been to a church meeting, Mr. Paul? But there's a nuance here that we need to unpack. One scholar says that for Paul, agreeing with one another, or more literally, thinking the same way, should not be read as a call to uniformity. Rather, this appeal to think the same way is an appeal to think according to the mind of Christ. Or to have the same kind of mind of Christ when he voluntarily humbled himself and died for the sake of the world. 
So this is not a call to uniformity, to everything being the same. I mean, think about it. Paul has already celebrated diversity. Back in chapter 12, verse 14 of the first letter to the Corinthians, he says that the body does not exist as one member, but many parts, parts that need each other. So agreeing here is not about putting on that uniform that makes us all look the same. But it is about sharing a common way of thinking, right? The way we think, that creates the similarity and the continuity that God is looking for. The common way of thinking is grounded in the mind, in the thinking, in the headspace of Jesus of Nazareth. And somehow for me in this time, that's really helpful. That's really helpful because it cuts through all of those insignificant things that we tend to worry about. And I don't know about you, but lately I've been thinking a lot about what is essential. What is necessary? What is this all about? What is church all about? To live and to think according to the mind of Christ, especially now, that message helps cut through the confusion and the chatter and helps me to focus on what really matters. And this is how I see it. This is how I see the mind of Christ. We've been hearing about preaching forgiveness and reconciliation for the past two Sundays. So the mind of Christ is about healing and forgiveness and reconciliation. It's about helping people expand their way of thinking about God and about each other. And the mind of Christ is obviously about standing with and lifting up the marginalized Standing with the poor and calling out systems of imbalance and hypocrisy and oppression. And ultimately, the mind of Christ is most fully known as we look upon the activity of the cross of Good Friday. The mind of Christ is about emptying oneself because he himself gave himself for the life of the world so that, as the old prayer says, everyone might come within the reach of his saving embrace. Everyone. All people. But people, people, are we ever going to agree with one another? My sisters and brothers and siblings... We are as we have always been in a time when it is almost impossible to agree with each other. Especially now, especially now, we have some different opinions about many different subjects. We have different opinions about this pandemic and the future we have in relationship to it. We have difference of opinions about whether it's being blown out of proportion or not being handled safely enough. We have different opinions about protesting and marching. We have different opinions about our police officers and those who are called to keep us safe. We have different opinions about the monuments that have been a part of our landscape for the entirety of our lives. We have different opinions 
about the monumental history of St. Paul's and how we are being called to react and respond. We have different opinions. And I think I can safely say that we will not agree on the way that we go about these things. So how do we proceed? We proceed in trust and in faith that each and every one of us is doing the best we can to live and to think according to the mind of Jesus of Nazareth. Will we ever know exactly what was going on through Christ's head as he did his ministry? Not exactly. But I believe, I believe that it has less to do with being in complete agreement and everything to do with being in relationship. And I wonder, I just wonder, I wonder if this time is calling us to really examine our own lives, to truly think about what we might just have to do to be more complete reflections of the image of God which is all about being in relationship. So now I'm circling back to that great mystery, that great teaching, that great doctrine that we know and call the Trinity, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Because the Trinity is all about relationship. It is. The Trinity that we celebrate on this Trinity Sunday finds its identity in being in relationship, which means that to be made in the image of God means to be made in relationship. Think about it. From the beginning of the beginning, these three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, have swirled around in the same ice cream cone. They have been in relationship. They are about relationship. They are conversation partners. So to be made in God's image, which we are, is to be made in the image of relationship. And the Trinity, in that ongoing eternal conversation, is still working to shape us into a relational people. All the same? No. Robots who think alike? No. In conversation? Yes. Dependent upon each other? Yes. Intimately and spiritually woven into each other? Yes. This is our call. Different but unified. Individuals but in solidarity. And this is the call toward which we move. Agree with one another, Paul says. Huh, tall order. But I don't think that's necessarily what Christian community is about. Instead, Christian community is about standing together beside each other and with each other, even if and especially when we do not agree. And that's what Paul is telling those first developing Christians in Corinth and I believe that's what the Spirit is telling us in Richmond today. It's a confusing and scary time here and everywhere. 
and we don't have uniforms, we Christians. And I might wear a funny collar and a hot black shirt to make my particular role in this city known, but at the end of the day, you, me, all of us, we all have a uniform. We have our baptism. We carry with us the promises we reaffirmed last week to pray, to work toward justice and peace, to love our neighbors, and to respect the daylights out of every single person. And all of us have marks of our identity, our uniform as followers, students of Jesus, because we know how to hold the Bible. We know how to hold the Bible up with some knowledge of the responsibility that it demands from us. And we know how to be in front of and with the church and understand the privilege and the responsibility that it affords. We have the assurance that each of us is holy and good. We wear the privilege of forgiving and being forgiven. And we carry with us the love that Jesus gave to us on the cross, a love that still flows down, a compassionate, endless amount of love that shapes and guides our every move and action and decision. It is a love that shapes our present and our future because that's all we have. Friends, all we have is our present and the future that we are called to shape. I guess you might say that our uniform as Christians is love. So let's wear that love, my friends. Wear love boldly. Wear love skillfully. Wear love relationally. Show the world the image of the only God that we know, which is a God of relationship. And here now again, those words from St. Paul. Finally, sisters and brothers, farewell. Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Amen.